Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. Chapter 6, verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. We'll be reading through to verse 35. Sorry for making you stand, but they do say that sitting is the new smoking. So I'm doing you a favor. Amen. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them pray for them which despitefully use you and unto him that smiteth thee or hits you on one cheek offer also the other and him that taketh away thy cloak forbid not to take away thy coat also give to every man that asketh of thee and of him that taketh away thy goods ask them not again and as you would that men should do to you do you also likewise to them. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. You know, it doesn't matter. Criminals love each other. Satanists probably love each other. What what good is it that you love people that love you back? That's not the challenge. And do good to them which do good unto you. What thank have ye? For sinners also do the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Love you, your enemies. Love ye, your enemies. And do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. Say, children of the highest. Who wants to be one of the children of the highest this morning? Amen? Well, this is what you need to do. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. If you want to be a child of the Most High, you need to be kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. We pray for our pastor who is in Melbourne. We pray, Lord, have your hand upon him, Lord. Give him safe travels, Lord, and anoint him, Lord, wherever he is. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for the service already that we've had. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to minister unto us that are in this service, Lord Jesus. Touch hearts, Lord. Fill those that need to be filled with your spirit. I pray, Lord, that those that need to be set free would be set free this morning, Lord. Those that are seeking a blessing, that they would be blessed. Those that hunger and thirst, Lord, for righteousness, that they would be filled, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Help me, Lord, to deliver this message as well, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you go down clapping unto the Lord. Please be seated. So this passage of Scripture is for me an example of what really proves the difference between Christianity and other ways of life. The camera people, they hate me. Sorry, Brother Elijah. (laughs) I like to go for a walk, you know, have a chat. But what sets Christianity apart from everything else is, is these kinds of what Pastor was preaching on for that series, hard sayings. These hard sayings that seem to go against our own natural inclinations, our our own natural desires, what we would want to do naturally. These kind of things that he says like, love your enemies, makes no sense to us. It's counterintuitive. You know, if I was going to start my own religion, wouldn't it make more sense to say, Hate your enemies. The ones that don't like our religion, we need to go and attack them, make war with them, kill them, get rid of them because they're coming against us. How are we going to see our religion grow and progress 
and become stronger if we just let our enemies get away with things. How are we going to see this thing grow if we start blessing our enemies or praying for those that despitefully use us? That, that's, that's not going to help our cause. We need to take up an M16 or whatever and go and fight them and get rid of them and help our religion, help our religion out. But what Jesus delivers to us is something that goes against that way of thinking, a higher way. Man's ways are down here, but God's ways are far above our ways. Amen? His thoughts are far above our thoughts. The things we try to concoct and think up, God's ways are far. We try to do things in the supernatural. That's how you would operate a religion or a way of life in the supernatural. That's how we would think if we built for ourselves our own God and made for ourselves our own God, we would say, yes, this is our God and this is how we're going to serve Him. We're going to, you know, fight for Him and we're going to have wars. And if you don't believe, we're going to kill you and get rid of you. And, you know, if you come against us, we'll come against you. And we'll, if you slap us on the face, we'll slap you 10 times. Ask for our coat. I'll take your coat and your shoes and your mobile phone. And that's how we're going to progress this religion. That's how I'd make a religion, Brother Raymond. That's how I would make it progress. And I would think, man, this is going to work. But that's, that's trying to serve God in the natural. In my own natural man, this dead piece of flesh... But we have a supernatural God, amen? And He's given us something that's supernatural. That means it's better than the natural, amen? It's better than what we have. It's above this natural way of life. That's why I know that this is true, that this is something that is from God because of these hard sayings of Jesus, which takes us to another level completely. If we are to become children of the highest, children of the highest, we need to love those that we don't feel like loving. We need to bless those we don't feel like blessing. We need to give to those that we know will never give back to us. We've got to get away from this mentality that it's all on a, like a rewards basis or there's some sort of conditions to the love that we give. Amen. God gives us unconditional love. We need to give that love to others. Amen. And this love, this kind of love is not just a New Testament thing. We think oh, it's just some, you know, in the Old Testament, it was all like just whatever, swords and, you know, kill all those Amalekites. And, and it was that. But there was love, amen? There was grace as well. We see that for thousands of years, every morning, every evening, and still to this day, Jewish people pray this prayer. Hashema Israel, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. They pray that twice a day at least. And that's from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One Lord. You could say like when they say Elohim, you know, they're, they're saying Lord, but really they're replacing the original word there, which was like Yahweh or the Tetragrammatron, the YHWH, the unpronounceable Old Testament name of God. That's the word that they have there. One Yahweh. He is one Yahweh. Amen. He's not three Yahwehs. There's only one Yahweh, amen? We believe in one God this morning, amen? And He is one. He is one. We don't try to explain God and invent terms and start to make up all this uh, extra terminology to try and come up with our own explanation like they did maybe a few hundred years after Christ. But we just use the Word of God. You want to explain God? It's all here. It explains it perfectly. We don't need to add on to it, amen, with our own terminology, our own thinking, our own philosophy. The Word of God perfectly 
He explains who he is just fine. No need to start inventing new terms and things that aren't in here to start describing who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love, say love, the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And we're going to focus on that word, love. You know, we're talking about, I know last week, uh, Brother Luami had that message, enough is not enough. You know, we, we, we need to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. We need to love him with, there's a good way to summarize that. We need to love God with all. Love God with all. But so often, you know, and, and coming back to that message from last week, and uh, we went up to teach for the um, Canberra youth yesterday. And so often in our walk with God, we kind of think, what's the minimum I need to do? What's the absolute bare minimum I need to be saved? Amen? And we think that's our love. That's, that's good enough when it comes to loving God. But could you imagine, uh, I'll speak to the ladies because they're, you know. Could you imagine like maybe when your husband or was wooing you or, or for those uh, that are still single, when a, a young man or, or, or whoever comes and will, you know, try to woo you and try to steal your heart. Could you imagine him coming and he's like, oh, darling, you know, I really think we could make a great couple, you know, I think we... You know, we should go out. What's the minimum that I need to do to win your heart? What is the bare, what's that boundary that I need to get as close to where I just do enough, just enough to steal your heart? How many times do I need to buy you flowers? Once a year. Will that do? Is that enough? How many times do I need to say I love? How many times do I need to take you out for dinner? Once every six months? Is that enough? Or can I get away with once a year? What's the minimum I can get away with? We would think that's ludicrous, right? Yet we seem to treat our relationship with God in the same, in that manner. We seem to think what's the absolute bare minimum I can do now? When you're married for 20 years, now it starts to get like that a bit. Maybe some of you husbands are a bit like that. What's the bare minimum I can do to keep my wife off my back so she doesn't get mad at me? But we need to love God with all, amen? With all our heart, amen? With all thy soul, with all thy might. If you've ever heard Jesus, you ever heard of Jesus? Ever heard of that guy? Some of you may have. Probably know about that golden rule, which he mentions in the text that we just said, but it's also mentioned in Luke 6.31, that you would do unto men as you would have them do unto you. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They, they call it the golden rule. They did, they... Uh, the, my kids' daycare when they were little and they were going to daycare, that was one thing that they taught the kids. It was, and they called it that, the golden rule. Hey, kids, you've got to learn the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Just get them to learn that principle. Amen? And it's actually a, re a restatement of something that, you know, Jesus said, you know, that um, the meaning of life, the meaning of life is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in Mark 12, 29 and 31, you know, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And it said, and Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is, as we heard before, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love thy God Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And he adds a bit more, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. And the second is like this, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater 
attendees. Now that's really beautiful, but what does this word love actually mean? And it, when we translate the word love in English, you know, we, we, it really becomes unclear. We can say, you know, obviously we love our mum. You know, who, who loves their mum? <laughs> you love your mum. You can love your pets. You know, you can love, I don't know, your job. <laughs> you can love ice cream. But if you said to your mum, I love you, I love you, and just the same as I love ice cream, you're probably going to have some problems with your mum. She's probably going to think there's something wrong. If you said to your husband, I love you, the same as I love hamburgers, um, that's a pretty low bar that you're setting there. So if it means the, the same thing in those cases, then obviously it depends on the context. So what did Jesus mean in his language, you know, when he said, you know, love your neighbour? So he's actually quoting something from the Old Testament. He's quoting something that came back from Leviticus 19.18, which said, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's nothing new. He's not bringing some new earth-shattering commandment. He's repeating something from the, from the law, from the Old Testament. And so he's drawing the attention to him, reminding them of something that was already there. And the word there in the Hebrew for love is ahava. Turn to your neighbor and say, Ahava. It's a nice word, isn't it? Ahava. However, the language that Jesus spoke and, and taught in, in day to day, was a, a cousin language of Hebrew, and it's called Aramaic. And it was the language that the Hebrew people had picked up in, in Babylon when they were over there, when they were in bondage, and they brought it back with them when they came back to Israel, came back to Judea. And in Aramaic, that word is rachma. Which really doesn't sound like ahava, but they are related. They just don't look related. You know, there's people like that. Some people, they're related, and kids that don't look like they're all brothers that don't look like each other and things like that. It happens sometimes. But Rachma. But then as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into the Greek word, agape or agapeo. And so here's, what fa here's what's, you know, you know, interesting, is that the earliest followers of Jesus, they wrote books of the New Testament but they didn't learn the, the meaning of agape or ahava by looking up dictionaries like we do and getting through and, okay, what does this exactly mean? And, you know, they actually looked at the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life and the way he loved and what he did, his actions. You know, so, you know, Jesus was asked about that most important command and he quoted the Shema, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, you know, and then he also included that second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that on these two things hinges all the law and the prophets, that all is fulfilled, Leviticus 19, 18 and Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. So which is more important, loving God or loving your neighbor? And Jesus' answer is yes. <laughs> What's more important? Loving God or loving your neighbor? Yes. Because to ask that question means you don't understand what he's saying. For Jesus, they're two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for your neighbor, by your love for people. That's how we know you love God. They're inseparable. You can't hate your neighbour and love God. 
You can't love your neighbor truly unless you love God. They're both the same. They're both of equal importance because they're both manifesting the same thing, the love of God. Amen? And so it makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love or ahava love is not just a feeling. It's not primarily a feeling, but it's not something that happens to, you know, like people say, oh, I fell in love or I fell out of love. How do you fall out of love? in love, fell out of love, like it's a bike. For Jesus, love is action. It's action. Yes, it can be a feeling, but love is useless without action. It's a choice. Say, it's a choice. Say, it's my choice. You choose to love or not love. Could you imagine like your kid does something wrong, whoever, who's got kids? Anyone got kids? I have favourites. I've got two boys. They compete with one another. I get them like, who's going to be number one this week? No. <laughs> Who wants to be number? Who wants to be the favourite? No, I wish actually. That that would be a good idea. That'd actually get them doing more chores. But but if they do something wrong, you don't really feel like loving them. But it's a choice that you continue to love them. Amen. It's a choice that you continue to love them, even if their behaviour doesn't justify it. And that's why these these two things are. So important to love God and to love your neighbor. If we start to think one is more important than the other, then our human behavior will skew it. We'll start to do one without the other. We'll start to think, well, I love God, so that's all right, because that's more important than loving your neighbor. Or you'll start to think that loving your neighbor is fine. That just means I, uh, that means I love God, surely. But we need to do both. Amen. And our love for our neighbor actually demonstrates, pardon me. The first time I've had to drink water up here for a long time. Hopefully that uh, water's new. Um, hopefully it's not from Turning Point. <laughs> no, it's not. No, that's good. I'm still a bit dusty from Turning Point, but. So love is not just a feeling, it's an action. And what makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling, is the way that his actions that he did and the way that he showed his love, you know, it, it shows us how to love. Amen? It shows us how to love. You know, he says here, you, you shall love your enemy and do good unto them. Expect nothing in return. For this kind of enemy embracing love, it imitates the very character of God himself. It shows us who God is, that it's above our ways. It's above our way of thinking. Amen. It's something we couldn't do by ourselves without the love of God. For Jesus you know, we'd be t if it was just him saying these words like "love your enemy" and you know, "do them that do good unto them that do evil to you," pray for them that despitefully use you. If he just said those words, Jesus wouldn't be the powerful figure that he is today. Amen. He wouldn't have proved that he was the Son of God, that he was God manifest in flesh. But it was his actions. Amen. The things that he did, how he actually lived. There was a testimony of this love. He was constantly helping and serving people around him in practical ways. He was healing people. He was showing mercy to people. He was showing us how to do the same thing. He showed love for the forgotten ones. The people who had fallen between the cracks. The people that were no longer, who were outcasts in the Hebrew and Jewish society. 
And when he eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders, the religious leaders, and also, you know, the Roman leaders, by accusing them, especially these Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. He accused them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies or overthrowing them, as some people expected, they thought, great, here comes Jesus. He's the king. He's our king. Look at this guy. He's healed people. He raises them from the dead. He's speaking about bringing the kingdom. The kingdom's here. Cool, he's going to kick out these Romans. Kick out these Italians. Get rid of them. Send them back to Rome. And reinstall the, you know, the kingdom of David. We're going to get a Jewish king again. Instead of a fake Jewish king like they had, like Herod and so forth. A puppet king. But instead of overthrowing them and attacking them, he died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies. He died for them because of his love for them. He allowed them to kill him. He didn't commit suicide. I hear people say, oh, why did he commit suicide? A bit hard to nail hands into your own, nail nails into your own hands. He didn't commit suicide. He laid down his life. He had the power to stop them, but he died instead because he needed to. He knew his purpose. Amen? If there's no death, there's no sacrifice, there's no blood, there's no remission. Because of his love for us. And after that morning, that Sunday morning, my apologies, man. My voice is running away. After that first day that he rose from the grave, Jesus and his followers claimed there was the power of God's love for this world revealed in the death, burial and resurrection. That was Christ's love for us. Amen. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. While we were yet sinners... Thank you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. 1 John 4 and 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And then he concludes that in verse 11, where he says, he gets to that conclusion. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Even though we were his enemies, Christ died for us. We were his enemies, amen? And yet he died for us. So the Christian faith involves in us trusting in his love, amen? This self-forgiving, self-giving, others-focused love. You know, Jesus, Peter had denied Jesus three times. You know, if... Somebody denied us in such a circumstance. Oh man, everyone's bringing tissues now. <laughs> if Peter had denied us the way that he denied Jesus, would we have forgiven him? Many of us would have gone, you're dead to me, Peter. Yet he went after he had resurrected and there he was on the beach cooking up a fish barbecue saying, come and dine, and then called him to eat with him. And then he had a hard conversation with him, a difficult conversation with him. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Oh, you know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you agape me? Oh, <laughs> you got me there, Lord. You got me. You know, we need to be able to, to love God and we need to be able to show that love to others. Amen? 
We need to live by the plan of God. We need to live by the word of God. But we've also got to be, you know, one thing I've realized is I need to be more flexible. I need to be more, um, what's the word, ready. You know, they've got a, it's the uh, NRL grand final this weekend. You may have heard of it. And um, they've got this term in uh, rugby league, they, they call it eyes up footy. So you've got your kind of your playmakers that'll play to a game plan. It's like the coach says, do this, do that, get to this point on the field, you know, do this. And they work to a plan. And then you've got other players that are like, don't worry about the plan. I'm just going to look at what's ahead of me and see what happens there. Now, you can't have all players doing the plan and no players playing eyes up footy. And you can't have all the players doing eyes up footy all the time because... You need a plan. And it's the same thing with us. We need to make sure we're living according to this word. Amen. But we need to be ready. Have our eyes up. Not just stuck into our plan. But make sure that when the opportunity presents itself, we strike. When somebody needs the love of God, we're ready. We're ready to give that love. Amen. We're ready to show God's love to these people. We need to be ready. There's going to be opportunities that come where you need to share to someone, where you need to pray with someone, where you need to show kindness to someone, where you need to give somebody some money, shout them a meal, whatever it might be. Amen? But make sure that just like Christ did, He met needs wherever He was. It wasn't just a church. It was wherever He was. He took church with Him. Amen? And we need to be like that. We need to play eyes up footy. Be ready for whatever situation is ahead of us. Amen. Be ready to show the love of God wherever we are. Carl and Edith Taylor, they lived in a, a small apartment in Walton, Massachusetts. They lived happily for 23 years. They loved each other apparently very much. Well, you know, they were married for 23 years. Long time. Carl was a government warehouse worker. And in February 1950, the government sent Carl to Okinawa, Japan. And for a few months, he worked in a warehouse there. And he had a habit of when he'd go and work at other places that he would send his wife small gifts and postcards. And um, for a short time, you know, he was there, but then... Hardly any gifts and postcards were coming back to Edith. And so also his uh, assignment, which was supposed to have only been for a few days, or a few months, sorry, kept getting extended and extended mysteriously. And Edith thought, oh, wow, he must be really busy, you know, with work and, you know, they're keeping extending him and he's not sending me gifts anymore. So I guess he's just working so hard over there. And um, so she thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to surprise him. And she started putting down payments because they lived in an apartment. She thought she'd buy a house instead. They had no kids, but, you know, she thought, let's get a bigger place. We'll buy a house. So she started putting down payment on a, on a house and, you know, wanted to surprise Carl when he got back. And after a short time, Edith got a letter from Carl all the way from Okinawa. Dear Edith. I wish there was a kinder way to tell you, but we are no longer married. Carl instead had married a 19-year-old servant girl named Aiko from Okinawa. Edith, who was now 48, was shocked and surprised, naturally. But instead of getting angry, instead of getting bitter, she took the matter to the Lord in prayer. And she started to feel compassion for her now ex-husband. She started to also feel compassion for Aiko, who was this, you know, poor, perhaps illiterate servant girl back in Okinawa. And Carl wrote one day that he and Aiko were expecting a baby. How heartbreaking this would have been for Edith, especially they didn't have kids of their own. And now her husband had gone and, had a kid to someone else in a faraway land. 
And so the first child, Marie, was born in 1951 and, and then they had a second child in 1953 named Helen. And Edith, instead of becoming sad and depressed, she felt compassion for these children as well. And she sent them gifts. And after some time, she got a letter to say that Carl was dying of lung cancer. And he had hardly any money to pay for the hospital bills. So Edith sent money to pay for her now ex-husband's hospital bills. All she did, she did all that she could do to make sure that he could die in peace. Obviously in those days of the 50s, you know, cancer research wasn't quite where it is today. And after his death, Edith offered Ico's two girls education in America. The heart of this woman. And because all the money that they had, they'd um, and saved for the education, had been spent on those hospital bills. And although it was very hard, you know, to part with the children, they sent them over to uh, America to get that uh, education. And uh, Ico accepted the offer from Edith and sent the children over to be for their education. And so Edith worked hard to take care of, of Ico and um, Carl's children and their education. And in a few years' time, she herself became old and weak and sickly. And she realised she's getting too old to, to look after these kids. And so she decided to try and bring Ico from Japan over to the States. Uh, but there was still uh, an immigration quota and there was a long waiting list. So she petitioned government and uh, her story ended up in a newspaper of this forgiving love. And so others also petitioned the government to try and get Ico from Japan over to the States. And then a special bill was sped through Congress and in August 1957, Ico Taylor was permitted to enter the United States. As Ico came down the stairs in New York from the airport that day, you would think that, you know, Edith had every right to hate her, to be furious, to take revenge, to think this is the woman who destroyed my marriage of 23 years. This is the woman who destroyed my life, took my family, my future, my happiness, my health, my wealth, my husband, etc., etc. In our mind, she had every right to do that. But instead, Edith went and, and warm, warmly hugged Ico. And Ico wept on Edith's shoulders. Ico found love in Edith and compassion, which she didn't even get from her husband. And this is a story of how amazing Christ's love can be. Amen. An example of Christ's love for us. You know, if I was in that same situation, I don't know how I would feel. You know, if I did that to my wife, she'd probably get on the plane, come over, there'd be carnage. No. <laughs> I don't want to do that to my wife. I don't want to find out. I don't want to test her that way. And for me, I don't even know this guy from a bar of soap. And I find it hard to forgive him. And yet she... She was the one that was hurting. She was the one in this situation. She was the one that had been put through the ringer and yet she chose to forgive and to love and to show that love, not just with words, but with actions. Amen? She even paid for these kids' education, got the, the wife to come over to the States. Amen? This is the type of love that God expects from us. Amen. It's hard. It's a hard saying. But we need to love those that are our enemies. Amen. We need to do good to those that do evil to us. We need to pray for those that despitefully use us. Amen. We need to bless those that curse us. Amen. Hallelujah. There's no ifs or buts. This is God's love. And this is the love we need to show our neighbour. Otherwise, we don't love God. That's how we show our love. To God is our love for each other. If we could be up standing.
and if the musicians could come. Paul tells us in his first letter to the Corinthians what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he writes in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could move mountains or remove mountains, and I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffers long or love suffers long and is kind. Love is kind. Sometimes we forget that. Love is kind. We say we love and we're not kind. It's a fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Love is kind. Love envies not. Love doesn't puff itself up or vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up doesn't behave itself unseemly, doesn't seek its own or her own. It's weird that wisdom is a her, love is a her also. It is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. It doesn't mean they've ceased. It means when they do cease, love will remain. Amen. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect is come. And then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know also as I am known. For now abides faith, hope, charity, or love. And these three, but the greatest of these is love or charity. Amen. We can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And we need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be an apostolic church. We need to sit, you know, it's great that we have the gift of tongues and interpretation and prophecy, but it shouldn't end there. We need to have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. Amen. The gifts of the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, the, the gift of faith. We need to see these in operation, discerning of spirits. We need to, and you guys need to step, start stepping out. Amen. Don't leave it all on us. Seek earnestly the best gifts. Amen. But if you don't have love, you're wasting time. You can read the Bible, pray until, pray until your tongue falls out, fast until your belly button pops off. But if you don't have love, you're wasting your time. We need to pray. We need to read His Word. We need to come to church. We need to fast. But more than that, we need to love. Amen. What does our love look like? You say you love your wife, but you abuse her, you hit her. That ain't love. That ain't ahava. That's the devil's business. You say you have love, but you get offended by everyone. That ain't love. You're seeking your own. If you're always getting offended and you're not always forgiven, that ain't love. Amen. Stop getting offended and start loving. Amen. Stop looking for reasons to hold angst or hold anything against somebody. Be quick to forgive. You think you have love, but you treat Christianity like it's some competition? Like you're competing with your brother and sister. Who's the most Christian? Who 
just going to sit next to you, Jesus. You don't have love. That ain't love. You need to have love, amen. If you have love, you understand this is, we're competing it against ourselves, amen. We're running a race, but this race is against ourselves, amen. We need to have love one to another. We need to be kind to one another. How are people going to know that we're His disciples? Because of our love one to another. Amen. People should be able to see the way we treat each other and go, that's a Christian. That's a follower of Christ because of the way they treat each other, because of the way they love each other. Amen. And if somebody ain't loving you the way you think they should be loving you, you love them the way you want them to love you, amen? You show them how it's done. You don't sit there complaining, oh, Brother Ben, he don't love me enough. Well, you show me how it's done, amen? You treat me the way you want to be treated. We need love, amen? We need love above all else. Love God and love your neighbour. That's how it's done, amen? They're both as important as each other. Hallelujah. If you love God this morning, why don't you come and spend some time with the Lord, amen? That God will pour through you His love. That you will be able to display God's love to others, amen, in your life, in the way that you live your life. That you will live a life of love for others, of devotion to others, of giving to others. Hallelujah. Of blessing others. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can come and you can receive God's love this morning. We can pray with you. You can repent of your sins. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you can come here. We can lay hands on you just like they did in the book of Acts. Lay hands on you. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you'll begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Amen. Just like they did in the book in Acts chapter 19. We can baptise you if you need your sins washed away. Because of God's love for us, that He died for us, He was buried for us, we can be buried with Him as well and rise in new life just as He rose as we are baptised in His name. Amen. And put on Christ. If you haven't been baptised, if you've repented of your sins, we can get you baptised. You can come talk to somebody. We can get you baptised, get you changed. We've got clothes. You don't need, you can put your clothes there. You'll go home with dry clothing. We can get you baptised this morning. Come and spend some time with the Lord. Hallelujah.
Draw near to us, you draw near to us. 